can we go into the next topic for today? In fact, I, this, I would say that this is kind of a continuation from last Sunday. This is Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says that this, read it with me, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be, he made them to be, come on now, loudly, he made them to be like himself. So when God created human beings, when God created you and me, God had a purpose, God had a reason, God had a motive, had an agenda, had something in his mind as a master, masterpiece, as a master plan. And what was God's agenda? What was God's perspective? What is it that God had in mind when he wanted to create you and me? He wanted to have somebody who was like him who was like Jesus, who, was, who, who will represent his image and in his likeness. You remember that when we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says, so God created man in his, in his own image and in his own likeness. So it's very necessary for us to understand this. It says when God created human beings, he made them to be like, everybody say like. He made them to be like himself. So if we can pursue this likeness of God in every area of our lives, if we can go after this likeness of God, that when I talk, I would, be, I would want to be like God. That when I serve, I want to be like God. I want to imitate God in every area of our life. If you don't know the vision of this church, we have a five-fold vision for our church. Let me just quickly rewind and revise the vision of our church. It is to celebrate God in worship. And it is to pursue God through prayer. Anybody remember all these things? It is to present God when we do evangelism. Fourth one is to imitate God by our process of discipleship. And fifth, it is to host God through and in a revival. So the fourth point is to imitate God. The scripture for that is Ephesians 5 verse 1. It says, we have to be imitators of Christ. Be imitators of Christ. And Paul would say it, say it like this. He said, why don't you imitate me in the same way that I imitate Christ? So we have to have a lifestyle, we have to have a personality, we have to have a character where we desire to be like Jesus, where we desire to be like God, where we desire to be like the one who created us. So can I say it like this, that the ultimate purpose of our lives is to be like God. The ultimate purpose of our lives. So if I have to ask you, what, what, what are you doing in life? What do you think is your life's purpose? It cannot be, I want to become an engineer. It cannot be, I want to, you know, do ministry to the ends of the earth. It cannot be, uh, you know, those are your assignments, temporary assignments. It cannot even be the fact that I want to uh, be a good father or a great husband. No, our ultimate purpose, the greatest purpose of humanity is that we have to be like God. 
Come on. See, there are those things that can be stolen from you, right? Like, let's say that you say, my purpose in life is to do ministry. What if you don't get an opportunity to do ministry? Will your purpose be incomplete? Yes, if you feel that that is the purpose of your life, then you will be incomplete. What if you say, oh, I want to be a great father, and then you discover that you do not have the capacity to have a child, or you're unable to have a child, or your child passed away. What would you do at that time? What is your purpose then? Can your purpose be stolen from you? Yeah. If you, if you your purpose to temporal assignments that we have. See, all of these are amazing things. Being a pastor, being a, a great uh, evangelist at my workplace, being a, a great husband and a father, all of these are great assignments for different seasons of life, but that cannot become the purpose of our lives. The ultimate purpose of our life is to become more and more like our creator. That is something that can never be stolen from you. That is something that can never be taken from you. No matter what season of life you're in, no matter how, many, how much resources you have, how much resources you don't have, you can always strive to be like your creator because that is the purpose, the agenda with which God created us. Amen? Verse 2, Genesis chapter 5, it says, He created them male and female. He created them in his own likeness and he created them male and female, which means God made them different. Okay? God made them like him, but they, God didn't make them like each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? Which means that we, are, we all have to keep God as the center, as the motive, as we all want to become like God. We don't want to become, only become like each other because we cannot become like each other. There are, there are things that a male can do that a female cannot do. There are things that other males can do that you cannot do. There are things that other females can do that you, know, you may not be able to do. But it is necessary for you to reach a place where you, you are able to or you're, you, you're, you're saying, I, I know that God has created us male and female. God has created me like this. This is the blessing, the strength that God has put into my life. I have to learn to embrace that. And, and the Bible says, and then... He blessed them. Everybody say bless them. So when when you hear the word blessed, what do you think? God gave them a car? Like, you know, come on. What is our testimonies like? You know, God blessed me with a car. Or a house. Or a job. Or a promotion. Or children. Or a wife. Or a husband. You know, whatever. Those blessings we would name and we would say, I am blessed because I have this. But what did God give them? Read that verse and tell me the revelation that is hidden. God blessed them and God gave them an identity. That was God's blessing over them. When God, God wanted to bless Adam and Eve, God gave them a name. God gave, God told them who they are. And when they know who they are, they know the purpose with which they were created. See, verse 1 in fact says that God created human beings to be 
like him. And then God made Adam and Eve and God told them, you are a human being. You are Adam. You are a human. What God was giving them is their identity. And that identity unlocked their destiny, their purpose. Do you get what I'm trying to say? See, so often we come to God and we are trying to ask God for you know, blessings and, you know, provisions and answers which are in fact locked in your identity. If you can just tell God, God, can you please teach me who I am? Give me a revelation of who I am. Give me a revelation of what is shut inside of me. Give me a revelation of who I am in Christ Jesus so that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It says that, God told them, you are a human being. You are Adam. God blessed them and said, you are Adam. And verse 3, it says, when Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him. Do you see what he's doing here? God made male and female like him. Now, what is Adam going and doing? Adam and Eve, they had a child, and the Bible says that that son, he became a father of a son who was just like him. So, so Adam was just like God, and now Adam is giving birth to somebody who was just like him. In his very image, he named his son Seth. The, the meaning of the word Seth is compensation. Or replacement, which technically means, okay, I lost a child, which was Abel. So God was giving him a compensation and God was filling his home one more time. Now, I want us to read further. It says, after the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. So, so, so this is what I want you to pay attention to. It says that... Adam had plenty of children. Okay, 800 years. You can imagine how many children he could have. Not 800, 800 plus 130 before Seth was born. So about 930 years. You know? This is before, you know, science and all of that. So this is a lot of children. But Adam had only one person who was in his image and in his likeness. And that was Seth. It says... Adam lived for 930 years and then, what does it say? And then he? So, so what is he trying to do? He is trying to fulfill the purpose of God in his life. What is the purpose of God in his life? To be like God. But there came a point that Adam died. Now God, will God die? Does God die? Does anything that is born of God die? Does, is it possible that somebody who is like God can die? But the Bible says that Adam, because he had been out of the garden now, because now, you know the problem, right? Sin had crept in and they were living in rebellion. They were living in disobedience. Now, he was trying in his flesh. He, all the effort that he's making to become like God is in his flesh. So when you try to become like God in your 
own self, in your own ability, there is always an expiry point for that. There is always an expiry date for all the hard work that you would make to become like God in your own strength. Whatever, whatever is born of the flesh has an expiry date. And whatever is sustained in the flesh also has an expiry date. See, Adam was somebody who was not born of the flesh. But everybody else that were born later, they were born by flesh. And see, Adam and Eve, although they were born by God's act, by God's hand, by God's spirit, they were not sustained by that. They tried to sustain their life on their own. And because of which the Bible says one day he died. 930 years he tried and tried and tried, but one day he died. So he produced something that did not look like God. He produced death. He had to die because he was not sustaining it in the spirit. Let's read further. It says, when Seth was 105 years old, he became the father of Enosh. So the reason it says when he was 105 years old is because, he, it's not because he didn't have other children. It's because he produced one child that was like him. And that was Enosh. That, you know, when God was looking at a lineage that can be connected back to God, God made Adam in his image. Then Adam made a Seth who looked like him. And now Seth, he gave birth to a Enosh, okay, who was like him. After the birth of Enosh, Seth lived another 807 years. And he had other sons and daughters before and after this, you know. Just like Adam had other sons and daughters before and after uh, Seth. So did Seth have other sons and daughters. And he lived 807 years. The Bible says, and Seth lived total of 912 years. And what happened to him? He died, he died too. Whatever is born in the flesh or whatever is sustained in the flesh has a expiry date. And guess what? He expired. Then the Bible says, Enosh, he lived for 905 years. And guess what happened to Enosh? Then he died. But Enosh had produced somebody like him and his name was Canaan. And the Bible says, Canaan, he lived 910 years and ultimately what happened to him? Then he died. Go on. Canaan had produced somebody else who was like himself. His name was Maha Lalel. Maha Lalel lived 895 years and then what happened to him? And then he died. But he had given birth to somebody in his image and his name was Jared. The Bible says, and when Jared was 162 years old, okay, he became the father of Enoch. So this is where the game changes, okay? Now check this out. What happens is after the birth of Enoch, Jared lived normal, regular flesh life for another 300 years and, and he had other sons and daughters and Jared lived 962 years and then he died, the Bible says. But when Enoch was only 65 years old, the Bible says he became the father of Methuselah. 
So he was living an ordinary life like all his ancestors. He lived normal life. But at one point when he did become the father of Methuselah, something happened, some revelation, some encounter. I can't go into the details of it because it's out of context. But he had an encounter because of which his life changed at this particular point. Enoch was only 65 years old at this point. It says, after the birth of Methuselah, who, who was born at the age of 65, it says, after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived, how? In, come on, loudly. That's why it's, it's highlighted there. Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years and he had now now this is what I want you to pay attention to okay Enoch was born in the flesh but he began to sustain his life in the spirit everybody else some of them were born in the spirit but they sustained their life in the flesh but here is an Enoch who knew if I have to be like God if I have to be like my creator I cannot do it by myself. I cannot do it in my own ability. I cannot do it without a close, constant, continual fellowship with my creator. So he decided, okay, as long as I am alive now, what I am going to do is I am going to live in close fellowship with God for the next 300 years. Now, that doesn't mean that he did not have a normal life like everybody else did. See, he had sons and daughters. He had a family. He was not living on a mountain top. You know, that's our understanding, right? If I have to if serve God, I have to leave everything. You know, we don't have to leave everything and live on a mountain top all by ourselves to serve God, to live for God. Here was a man who had children, not just Methuselah, but plenty of other children. After Methuselah, so he was a responsible father, a loving husband, and he was available at home. He was doing all the things right. And yet, he walked in close fellowship with God. So, you know, if you calculate at this point, at this point when Methuselah was born, Adam is 622 years old. Okay? What is the age of Adam at this point? So Adam has not died yet. You know how long Adam lived, right? Adam lived for 930 years. So, so go back home and do the calculation. So by the time Methuselah was born, Adam is only a 622 years. Which means Enoch got to spend time with Adam. Enoch would have gotten to spend time with Eve. And then Enoch would go and ask them, what did it feel like to be in the garden? What did it feel like to be walking with God? How was it like to walk in the presence of God? And Enoch had a conversation. I'm sure that Enoch had a conversation with Adam and Eve, which, which triggered his communion with God, which triggered his fellowship with God. And he's like, I, I am, I'm deciding this today that I want to walk with God. I want to have a relationship with God. And I love his consistency. 300 years. 300 years 
this man, he walked with God. Now, if you and I, we want to have a constant and a close and a, a continual lifestyle of hosting the presence of God, then we need to be able to walk in close fellowship with God. We cannot expect to host the presence of God if you are not walking with Him. We are expecting all the time, what we are expecting is for God to come and be with us. The real question is, are you willing to be with God? We are, we, you know, what are we saying? What are, when we sing, when we pray, when we uh, read the word, we are looking for keys to bring God down. But God is asking us a question today. Will you come to where I am? Will you climb the mountain? Will you make the extra effort? Will you do something out of the ordinary to come and be where I am? I am available to you. See, look at this. This is outside the Garden of Eden. Nobody had walked with God outside the Garden of Eden. Think about this, okay? Nobody had walked with God. They had talked with God. Like Cain and Abel, they had talked with God. But nobody had walked with God outside the Garden of Eden. The only person who had walked with God was Adam and Eve. And that was inside the Garden. So... All the sons of Adam and Eve, they gave an excuse. Oh, I wish I was in the garden. What an amazing time. I wish I was in that church. I wish I was receiving from that man of God. I wish I was living in this city. You know, I wish I had as much money as, you know, so and so person to do all of that. We all give excuses to why we cannot walk with God. We all give excuses to why we cannot have a deep, close, intimate relationship with God. And here was an Enoch who said, I don't care which, what is my limitations. I know that I cannot host his presence if I don't walk with him. I cannot be like him. I cannot fulfill my life's purpose. My life's purpose is to be like God. Is to is to be in his image, in his likeness. And I cannot do that if I don't walk with him. And so he decided, in spite of all the challenges, in spite of all the distractions, in spite of all the people that discourage me, in spite of all the disappointments, I am going to continue to walk with God. And he did it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, for 300 long years. You want to read the result of it? Come on, the next verse. Verse 23, 24. What does it say? Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God just took him. So you see the pattern. Adam lived in. Enosh lived in. Seth lived in. Canaan lived in. That Mahalalalalal, he lived in. Jared lived in. But Enoch, he lived and he disappeared into God. He disappeared because he knew his life purpose is to be like God. He became day by day, every day he was walking with God, the, the more he became like God. So one fine day, Enoch was not to be found. Because nobody, see, it's like this. When you have the same characteristic like God, and if you cannot see God, you cannot see 
that person that has the same characteristic of God. Please try to understand what I'm trying to teach you this morning. This man, he's walking with God daily to be like God, to be in his image, to, be, to, to fellowship with him daily, day after day after day. And all these, all his ancestors, they tried to do the same, but they did it in the flesh without God's help. And because of which there was a expiry date, there was a limitation, there was a challenge which they couldn't cross. But here is a man who said, no, I also want to do the same thing you guys want to do, but I'm going to do it a different way. I will walk in the spirit. I will walk with God. I will walk in close fellowship with God. And the Bible says he reached a place where he did not die. He disappeared. Wow. He did not die. He just he just dissolved into God. The KJV Bible says he, Enoch walked with God and he was not. That's it. And he was not. So there was no more Enoch. Enoch reached a place where he knew that his identity is not found in himself. His identity is found in his creator. He became so insignificant that God just took over his life. After that point, if you don't have a relationship with God, you, don't have a, you cannot have a relationship with Enoch. Because Enoch is now like God. You know, so check this out. The ancestors, they've been trying, right? 800, 900 years. I don't know how they managed so long without television. You know, we, we cannot manage a week without some entertainment. These guys, they lived 900 years to try and fulfill their life's purpose their life's destiny. And here is a man who comes and he says, I would like to walk with this God. I would like to live in close fellowship with this God. And that he achieved in 300 years. One third of the time that his ancestors have been trying and yet with better result, yet with the result of him not seeing death. See, death is not in God. Death is not something that God had planned for them. And here is a man who actually physically saw the manifestation of it because he walked with God. So if when people tell you, no, this is meant to fail, there is an expiry date to this, I know you're very excited today, but you know, give it two months and let me see how much tongues you will be talking then. Give it three months and let me see how much of prophecy you will have. Give it five months and let me see your ministry, where it goes. You have to remember that if you're going to do it in your ability, in your strength, without fellowship and communion with God, then it will be a struggle. Then you'll feel like 900 years. But if you walk with God, I'm telling you, it will be a piece of cake. Before you know, people will no longer be seeing you. And they don't need to. Guess what? This is the good news. They don't need to see you. All they need is an encounter with God. All they need is a revelation of God. And here is a man who was not just expecting God to walk with him, okay, where in the Garden of Eden, who did the first step? Who made the first step? God. Because God would step down from heaven and come down to the Garden of Eden and walk with them, right? Daily, in the cool of the day, every day. But now that he is out of the garden, Okay, he doesn't have access to the presence of God. Now he had to take the extra effort to go into the presence of God and walk with God. 
He had to take that extra effort. And because he did that, he reached a state that he was created, created to be like. If you're going to host God continually, it would require and it would cause you to lose yourself, totally to lose yourself in him. It's a very scary thing that you're signing up for. If you're saying, I want to host God, it's impossible to do that without, you know, just hosting the presence of God without being willing to become, to come to a place where you are going to be dissolved in his presence, dissolved in who God really is. Can I teach you a little bit more? This is in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, once you were dead. Look at your neighbor and say, once you were dead. And they don't mean an insult. They don't say it like an insult. It's the truth. Once you were dead. If you're alive today, it's a fact. It's a truth that once upon a time, you were dead. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So you see Adam and Seth and Enosh and Canaan and Jared and Mahalalel and all of these guys that, that did want to walk with God, they died. Why did they die? Because of disobedience and many sins. And that was your story and my story too. We were dead spiritually. We were dead. We were not alive spiritually because we were also trying things in the flesh. We were trying to be like God. We were trying to be like be like what God has made us to be in our own ability, in our own strength. And because of our disobedience and our many sins, we, we were dead, the Bible says. Verse 2, it says, you used to live in sin. So when you're dead spiritually, you will be alive in sin. When you're dead to God, you will be alive to the world. You will be alive to the enemy of God. You will be alive to Satan. Let me read further. It says, you used to live in sin. What is the first verse? You were dead. And why were you dead? It was because you were alive to your sin. Okay? It says, and just like the rest of the world, you were obeying the devil. You may think, oh no, I was not obeying the devil. I, I was just being a, you know, I was just doing what I felt right. The scripture says, you are doing what? You are obeying the devil. It says you are obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. So never underestimate the power of your sins. Your sin is not just a mistake. Your sin is an act of obedience to devil. Don't ever, you know, don't ever undermine the value of your sin by saying, oh, it was just one wrong misstep that... No, it wasn't. It was a willing obedience. The Bible says you were like the, just like the rest of the world are doing. What you, were, what you did is you obeyed the devil. Who is the devil? He is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. It says the, he is the spirit. Everybody say he is the spirit. So, do you know there is a spirit that is working in us? Yes. It says in the same way, this devil, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So, what am I teaching you this morning? 
There is a way that you can live. You can either live in the spirit by the Holy Spirit or you can live by the spirit of the power that controls the power of the unseen world, right? So you cannot be neutral. You cannot be neither here, neither there. Either you are being controlled by that spirit or you are being controlled by the spirit. You will either disappear into God or you will die in your struggles. You cannot, there is no middle way. You know, there's no middle ground. Either you are going to be spending your eternity with God in heaven or you're going to be spending your eternity with this guy in the lake of fire. There's no middle ground. There is no middle ground for nor a Christian nor a, you know, non-Christian. Some, there's no middle ground for that. The Bible says he's the guy who is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse 3 it says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our... Have, have you ever heard those uh, movies and those Instagram posts that says, you know, just follow your heart? Yeah. Look at this. The Bible says that's sinful. Don't follow your heart. Jesus said the heart is the most deceitful thing. And you think it's the devil? No, it's your heart, which is the most deceitful thing. <laughs> the heart is the most deceitful thing. So if anybody tells you, just follow your heart, do what your heart... No, don't do that. In fact, that is when you have to fast all the more and, and go to read the word of God and say, what is it that God desires about me? Because that is the ultimate. I want to be like... God. I don't want to be like myself. I don't want to be like what my heart wants me to do. It says, all of us used to live that way. So if you're still living that way, it's not supposed to be how you're supposed to live. That's not how you're supposed to live. It says, all of us you used to live that way. You were following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. It says, by our very subject, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. It says, but God, everybody say, but God. but God. Come on, this verse, we have to read it loud, okay? Ready? One, two, three, go. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us. Come on, one more time. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us. One more time. But God, he is so rich in mercy and he loved us don't you let anybody tell you that you're unwanted because the bible says god he loved you so much that he was willing to take you out of that lifestyle you know sometimes when you know as christians sometimes we feel that oh my god what a everywhere there is rules man everywhere there is restrictions everywhere there is limitation but you don't know what you were doing. You don't know how bad that life is. It's the mercy of God that brought you out of that to here. It is the love of God that made sure that you don't perish with the rest of the world. It says it's the, it's the fact that God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. How did he give us life? When he raised Christ from the dead, what did he do? 
He was not just giving life to Jesus, his physical body. What was he doing is he was giving life to you, to your spirit. Just like God would breathe upon Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's what happened to our lives when Jesus came back to life. You may be wondering, how, how, how can that happen? Because, you know, that was 2,000 years back and, you know, I live. See, in God's economy, there is no time. God is outside time. So when God is looking at the sacrificial death of Jesus here in around 30 AD, around AD 30s when Jesus died. And when God is looking at that, and when Jesus is risen from the dead, it says that when he, he gave us life, how did he give us life? When he raised Christ from the dead, he was not just giving life to Jesus' physical body, he was giving life to each and every one of us throughout history who would put our faith, our trust in Jesus. Because through Jesus, God made a way for us to experience the presence of God. What was hidden, what was banned for Adam and Eve through Jesus. Now we can go back into that place of deep, close, intimate fellowship with God. Because of what Jesus did. And it says, through Jesus, he gave life to all of us. So it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So it is in Christ, read it with me, it is in Christ that we regain that place of deep, close, intimate fellowship with God. It is not in church, it is not in religion, but it is in Christ. Paul goes on to say, this is what he did in Christ for us, for he raised us from the dead. So you may be wondering, when did I die? You remember, what did he say previously? When he raised Jesus from the dead, he also gave life to the rest of us. Now, Paul goes on to explain. And he says, do you know that once upon a time you were dead because of your sins? Once upon a time you didn't have life? Now, he raised us from the dead. From decay, from expiry, from that life that was leading to constant continual death. Now he raised us up from the dead along with Christ. And what else did he do? It says, and now he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Okay? So we were dead, but he brought us back to life. Not only did he bring us back to life, he also gave us a seat. Where? In the heavenly realms or, you know, if I have to say it like this, he gave us a seat in the Garden of Eden. What was lost to Adam and Eve, that close fellowship with God that was lost for Adam and Eve, he gave us through Jesus Christ. He gave us a seat. He invited us into that garden. Are you ready for the next one? That's not the end of the story. Yes, it's, and he says... And now, because of that, now we are united with Christ Jesus. We are united with Christ Jesus. What is that? That is what happened to Enoch when he disappeared. Because he became one with God. He walked with God so much that he, after 300 years, he became one with God. Okay, what took Enoch 300 years of constant, continual fellowship with God? The Bible says you and I can experience the moment we receive Jesus. Oh my God, I don't know if you got this revelation. 
I was trying to drive how hard it was for Enoch to reach there to take you to this point. The what took 300 years for Enoch to reach. You and I can freely take it home today. You and I, we can begin from that place. We don't just get raised back from the dead. Okay, you know the expiry date, all these guys were dying. We don't need to do that. Our spirit is alive. What, what Adam experienced in the garden, that, that access that Enoch did not have. Now we have that because we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And what Enoch achieved after 300 years of walking with God, you and I, we achieve. Not because of a great life of obedience. I'm not saying obedience is not important. I'm not saying your purity is not important. I'm saying we don't, we don't reach there. We begin with that. We begin with that place of deep, close, personal intimacy with Jesus. We are raised. Everybody say raised. raised. Seated. And united. and united. One more time. We are raised. Yes. I'm seated. And I'm, and I'm united. Come on now. That is our privilege as children of God. Paul would go on to explain in Ephesians chapter 5. As the scriptures say, a man, what does he do? He leaves his father and mother. He has to go through this process where he would disconnect from certain things. For example, for Enoch, for him to be united with God, he had to leave his father and mother. He, he had to leave his friendship with Adam. He had to leave his friendship with all his sons and daughters that he wanted to raise in the presence of God. He had to disconnect from all of them and he had to step into a realm where he would not have access to them and they would not have access to him. So if you, if you want to walk in this unity, you'll have to leave certain things. It says a man, he leaves his father and mother. And what does he do? And he is joined to his wife or joined to his spouse or joined to the lover of his soul. Okay. And what happens next? It says then the two are united into one. See, we, we, we think, okay, okay, if I just, you know, I, I've prayed my salvation prayer, now everything will be easy, everything will be okay. No, but there is a process. There is a process where you have to constantly, continually get rid of things in your life that is stopping you from being united with your lover. There are things that can stop you. There are things that can stop, you know, your oneness with God. So today, your job is to identify what is it that I'm still clinging on to, that I'm not letting go of my life, that is stopping me from joining with Jesus, that is stopping me from becoming united. It says, that, and the two are there united into one, into one. Just like Enoch and God became one. And Enoch was not, and Enoch just disappeared in God. See, when God would call Adam and Eve, okay, when in, in Genesis 5 verse 1, we read that verse, it says, God created Adam and Eve and God looked at them and God said, you're Adam. That human, that word is originally called Adam. So God saw them as one because they, they were both united. And when God looked at them, God said, you are Adam. So when we are united with Jesus, God would look at us and say, 
Oh, wait. You're no longer Sharon. You're no longer Pinky. You're no longer Promise. You're no longer Subodh. That's my son, Jesus. We have a new identity when you're united with Christ Jesus. When you become one with him. It's no longer you. The world doesn't see you anymore. You don't walk like you or talk like you and look like you anymore. You become a new person. See, I know that this doesn't make sense to many of us, right? That's why the Bible calls it a mystery. Read it on. It says, this is a great mystery. It's a great mystery. Okay, Paul is teaching about marriage and he's saying, this is a great mystery. But, come on, read it with me. But it is an illustration of the way that, come on, the way that Christ and the church. Wow. What is it an illustration of? The way that you and Jesus are one. It's a mystery. Paul says it's a mystery that everybody doesn't understand. That everybody doesn't give into. He says it's a mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that the church and Jesus are one. How are they one? They leave the father and mother. They are joined. They walk in close fellowship. And then they are one. Why? Because they know that when we believe Jesus, when we obeyed God, we have already been raised. We've already been given access to sit next to him. And we've already been united with Christ. Now, it's all the more reason. We have everything required for us to, you know, leave whatever needs to be left behind. So, many people will tell you there is no price that you need to pay. You know, they'll tell you, oh no, Jesus paid all the price, so you don't need to pay a price. Then why does the Bible say that you need to leave your father and mother? Why does the Bible say you need to go that extra mile and be united? And why does the Bible say that this is an illustration of the way that the church and Jesus can be one too? So there is always a price. See, it's your price, the price that you need to pay is not as good or as high, as great as the price that Jesus paid to become one with you. You don't have to die on the cross. You know, you don't have to, you know, go through that, all that suffering. But then, there are people that you will have to disconnect from your life. There are those that, I'm telling you, as long as you walk with them, you're not getting there. Because they don't plan to get there either. There are those habits that you will have to say, okay, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm willing to give this up as a price. If you have a profession, a job, uh, you know, that, that's even harder. You know, I know people that have to lie on their occupation, you know, when they're working. I know people who have to do illegal activities when you're working. You know, things that don't please God, things that don't, you know, bring honor to God. Man, give it up. That's a price you need to pay. Be willing because what God is giving you on the other side is much more beautiful, much more greater, much more powerful. That will sustain you guys. Don't ever think your money will sustain you because money is in the flesh realm. Money cannot sustain you in the spirit realm. In the spirit realm, you need a spiritual encounter, uh, oneness with Jesus out there in the, in the holy place. That is what you need. And, and uh, if there is something that is hindering you from walking there, then I'm telling you, that's a price you need to be willing to pay. That's a price you need to be willing to give up. You need to say, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to go that far to be able to 
become one with my Jesus. So Jesus is not only the focal point now, not only the entry point now, now Jesus becomes the person that I want to become one with. No more of me, all of him. When the world looks at me, the world doesn't see me, the world sees him. That's the life I want to live. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15, don't you realize that your bodies are what? Your bodies are what? Parts or members of Christ. Your bodies are parts of Christ. So if I slap, sorry, I will not. So if I hit somebody, who am I hitting? That's why Paul, when he was going to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him and said, Why are you persecuting my people? No, why are you persecuting me? Because you and I, we are not living by ourselves anymore. Now we are the body of Christ. We are the parts of Christ. So if I cheat Subodh, I'm cheating Jesus. Whatever I do with my body, I'm doing it to Jesus, to the body of Jesus. Because my body, my life is a part of Jesus himself. Now do you understand why Paul would explain this? Read the next verse. It says, should a man take his body, which is a, a part of Christ, and join it with a prostitute? He's asking a question and he is giving the answer. Just in case you are in any doubt. No, never. Please don't. Please don't try this. It's not going to benefit anybody. It says, and don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, what happens to him? him? Come on, read it with me. He becomes one body. In the physical realm, he becomes one body with her. Okay? It's, it's a very serious business, by the way, guys. You know, when you get engaged physically, you have an intercourse. That's, the Bible says you become one in your physical body. You may think, oh, it's just a one-time thing. Oh, it was just for one night. It was just a one-off incident. No, it's a very serious thing. It says, don't you realize that you become one with her at that point? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. Now, read the next line. But those who are joined to the Lord, what are they? They are one spirit with him. Okay, now what is Paul doing? He's giving comparison. One body and one spirit. And he's telling you how two people can become one body. Hmm? And he's telling them, see, see, this is how marriage works. Marriage works when you leave your father and mother, you join to your wife, you get married in church, and then you become one. That's how marriage is supposed to work. But then he says, then there are some who want a shortcut. They don't want to leave. They don't want to confess their love for you, but they, will, they directly want to be united. And Paul is saying, don't you realize how serious this problem is? Because you just became one with that person. That's a very serious struggle now. It's not just a you know, pleasure thing. It's not just something physical. It's a big problem now. And he says, this is 
avoiding the path that God has put for you to reach that place of oneness in your body with that person. And in the same way, he says, don't you realize that a person that joins with the Lord, what happens to him? He's one spirit. This is a different realm, okay? You remember I began teaching about you can sustain things in the body, you can sustain things in the flesh, or you can sustain things in the spirit. And he's giving us a key on how to overcome issues in the physical realm, in the flesh realm. And he says, hey, I'll give you an easy way out. Why don't you become one in your spirit with Christ? Why don't you walk in close fellowship with Christ? Why don't you sacrifice, leave those things that need to be left and be joined with him so that you can be united, so that it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. So that when the world sees me, they, uh, the world and its interest, that's why Paul would use terms like the world and its interest has been crucified. It's no longer I that live. It's no longer I that the people can see. It's no longer I who has a revelation, who has an encounter, who has, it's all about Christ in me because I have become one with him. And this is not an illegal relationship. So don't try to waltz in here on Sunday and try to act like you know this person. You know, can I say this as crude as I can? Many of us, we just want a one-night stand with God. We don't want to pay the price. We don't want to go through the process. We just want that encounter. Oh, I had that, you know, amazing time with God. But God says, no. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to let go of things that need to be let gone of? Because what God is preparing for you on the other side... Man, it's too, it's too beautiful. It's too glorious. There is always a price to reach there. Don't you think that coming to church once in a week will do the job? No, it's a lifetime of living for Jesus. It's, you know, when you come to church, I'm just giving you the food for you to be able to walk with Jesus for the rest of the week. The job is not done when we close this service. The job only starts when we close the service. And then you daily, you're leaving, you're joining, and you're living in unity with Jesus. Because there is a mystery in this oneness. The more you are one with this Jesus, the less significant you will be. The more the world will see Jesus. It says, don't you realize the one who is joined with him in the spirit, they become one spirit with him. Which means... If I have to search for the spirit of promise inside, if I have to do a, if I have a spiritual microscope, I cannot find, I will not be able to find his spirit because now his spirit has become one with the Holy Spirit. It's a mess. Now I can, all that I can see is the spirit of God because now in the spirit he's become one. It's no longer him. It's no longer you. That's where the Lord is inviting us today. There is a price to pay, but this is key. This is how we host the presence of God in our lives. Are you ready to jump into that? Are you ready to commit to that? Are you ready to experience this mystery of oneness? It's not something that you can talk about. It's something that you can experience, a lifestyle of experiencing and walking in it. Amen? But you will have to leave. You will have to cleave. 
so that you can be united with him. All eyes closed. All eyes closed.